You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Three balls, one strike. Corbin set. Here's the pitch. Outside ball four, and the Dodgers take a one-to-nothing lead as Corbin's taking a walk on the wild side. That's Charlie Steiner. If you're wondering where he's been all these years, he's been out in Los Angeles calling Dodgers games on radio. It's Kevin. It's Aaron today. I have no idea if we're going to have a guest or not. Cooley may be with us. Sorry to keep teasing that, um, but he's actually been busy. He's involved in some things, and if he's available, he's going to call me, and if not, we'll do him one day next week. We've got a lot of recap to do today, football and ba- and baseball from last night, and then we've got a lot of preview to do with all the football this weekend. And, by the way, a heavyweight, heavyweight pitching matchup tonight in the postseason, Steven Strasburg and Clayton Kershaw in Game 2. That's where we're going to start, Aaron, because – There wasn't enough offense, and there was even worse defense last night for the Nats, who lost Game 1 in L.A. 6-0. And we came in with that fourth walk from Patrick Corbin in the bottom of the first, which really did in many ways set the tone for the night. Now, they were lucky to get out of it with just allowing one run. When you walk four guys in an inning, um, you, you'll take uh, that walked-in run as the only run. And and Corbin ended up settling down and having a pretty good night. He went six complete, uh, struck out nine, and only allowed one earned run, and that was the one in the top of the first when he walked home uh, the Dodgers' first run. But it was a rough night offensively for the Nats, just two total hits on the night. That's just seven hits in two postseason games if you go back to the wild card game. And they really haven't hit anybody hard. Like it's not just that they're not generating offense by hitting the ball. They're not generating outs where the ball is being hit hard. There were a couple on Tuesday night in the humidity. Suzuki's comes to mind. Um, but last night they managed just two hits. Soto had one. Turner had one. They walked three times in the bottom of the fourth, had an opportunity. Soto did with two on and one out, and then Cabrera did with the bases loaded um, and two outs, and they weren't able. That was their best opportunity by far to generate some offense, to generate some runs, and they were unable to do that. It was the only inning that Bueller really struggled, um, and really the struggle of the night came with Howie Kendrick at first base, Aaron. Um, Two errors, and another play that wasn't ruled an error, but was certainly a doable play. Um, and ultimately, you know, what really doomed him was his second error, third mistake of the game as a fielder, which came in the bottom of the seventh in a still winnable game at 2 nothing with two outs and the bases loaded. And Max Muncy hits a ground ball to Kendrick and it goes right underneath his legs. Two runs score, 4 nothing game over. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the big thing. And yes, people are going to say, well, it doesn't matter. They would have lost anyways, even without those errors, because they didn't score a single run. And that's a fair point as well, because, you know, that's kind of what we're getting used to, to the Nets in the playoffs, especially in the first game of the playoffs. They haven't had a lead in the game one of a playoff series since 2014. Is that true? They haven't had a lead they in a playoff a series? In, a, in game one of oh, the playoffs. Oh, in game one. Yes. I was going to say, because in game... You know, th- this is just kind yeah. of... I'm, I'm this is kind of the story of game one for the Nats is they don't score a whole lot in uh, game one. They never have tended to. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be something, and people are going to point out and say, well, why wasn't Zim in there when we got a little bit closer in the later innings? That's why he's there for his defense. Um, the answer is they didn't score any runs, and they needed the bat. 
Yeah, um, and I and I think everybody was fine with Kendrick's bat in the lineup instead of Zimmerman's bat in the lineup, and that was the same for Tuesday night as well. And you know, Kendrick ended up going 0 for two, walked once, but I'll tell you what, in his first at bat. Um, which came in the bottom of the second. He got rung up on a third called strike, which was so out of the zone, low and out of the zone. And you saw him. He was frustrated. It was not a good night for Howie Kendrick, but he is a professional hitter. Um, Unfortunately, uh, he had those errors last night. But as Aaron mentioned, their lack of offense killed him last night. Um, They could not generate anything off Bueller. And when they had the one opportunity in the fourth with three walks, it was actually an odd first four innings, wasn't it? You know, Corbin with the four walks in the first, Bueller with the three walks in the fourth. You know, not many hits at all in those first four innings, not much offense at all. Um, Some mistakes more than really good plays. Um, But the bottom line was is they could not hit Bueller, uh, couldn't even come close to the bullpen. And with respect to the Kendrick error and keeping it at 2-0, Bo Porter, who does the postgame and pregame for Masson, was on the radio show with me um, a little while ago this morning. And he said one of the reasons you want to get out of that inning 2-0, worst case, is you make them use their closer. You know, in game one, you make them use Kenley Jansen so he's not super rested for tonight if they need him. And they never got to Jansen in the game because, by the way, Hunter Strickland served up two home run pitches. He does it better than anybody. And Peterson's home run in the eighth was a titanic um, shot off Strickland. So the Nats dropped game one, six nothing. There were a couple of things that I found interesting about the game. The seventh inning and the decision that Dave Martinez made to use Rainey and Rodney in that inning with a 2-0 lead. Uh, I, in the moment, couldn't believe that we were seeing Rainey and Rodney in that particular inning. First of all, I actually thought there was a chance that Corbin might come back and pitch the seventh. He did have 107 pitches thrown, but he had just come off his easiest inning of, of the of the game. It was a 1-2-3, nine-pitch, sixth inning. And I know that, you know, Dave Martinez, we got to the seventh, it's still 2 nothing. I thought Corbin could have gone another inning. But, but, but that aside, you had in that in- inning, you had Peterson scheduled to bat, potentially Bellinger if you got to the fourth hitter in that inning, and then Muncie down the road. Why not bring in Doolittle there? Now, Rainey came in and struck out Pollock. Then he walked Peterson. I, I would have certainly in that particular situation, Eric, uh, Aaron, Eric, um, uh, I've called you worse before. Yes, um, you have. After you get, you got Pollock to strike out, why not come in with Doolittle against Peterson? You know, in a lefty lefty matchup, um, th- I would have definitely thought about yeah. that. Um, but he didn't, so he walked Peterson, and then he gave up a single to Turner. So now you got two runners on and Bellinger up. Now I'm like, well, now he's definitely going to go to Doolittle, and then here comes Rodney to face Bellinger. Now Rodney struck out Bellinger. And Dave Martinez did, he was asked about it after the game, and he said, I thought his changeup and his off-speed stuff would be a problem for Bellinger. I'm paraphrasing there. I personally thought Doolittle Lefty would have been better against Bellinger, and if Bellinger had hit a home run or had driven in you know, Peterson and Turner on that next at-bat to get to a 4-0 lead, I think that would have been a major mistake. I didn't think we were going to see Rodney or Rainey unless we had to. We're in the seventh now. You got a chance with Doolittle to pitch the seventh 
and then you know you know hopefully you get a chance to come back in the you know in the game and take the lead. You got other options, but Rodney in that spot didn't make any sense to me. But he got Bellinger to strike out. Then he stays in the game and he walks Taylor. All right, on seven pitches. By the way, after getting ahead on Taylor, oh uh, two. That was a big mistake. Now you got Muncie coming to the plate. Bases are loaded, two nothing game, and two outs. How are you not pitching Doolittle there? It made no sense to me to leave Rodney in. He got away with it from this standpoint. He got Muncie to hit a ground ball to Howie Kendrick to end the inning. Kendrick obviously let the ball go go between his legs and two runs scored. So Dave Martinez actually should have gotten out of that inning with with a two nothing deficit. Um, using Rainey and Rodney. But, man, I, I thought it had so much potential to backfire in, a, in an uglier way. I mean, you ended up giving up the two runs because of the error, but I didn't think those were the right pitching decisions in the moment. Certainly not Rodney against Muncie. I didn't think Rodney against Bellinger made sense. He explained that when he had some reasoning there. But once the other lefty, Muncie, came up in that spot, I'm not sure why he didn't use Doolittle. Did you? Were you thinking the same thing or yeah, not? Yeah, it was a little weird. He definitely mismanaged the bullpen a little bit. I was just surprised in general that he brought in Rainey at first because right. Rainey, you know, we're, we were talking about Rainey why he was on that, you know, the wild card roster, and he's a guy that you want to bring in, not in a clean inning. You want him to kind of be the guy first and third. You need a strikeout here. You need a guy who won't make contact. You bring him in for one or two batters. Yeah, not a clean inning and expect him to go the full inning so that was strange right off the bat and then yeah if you are going to play matchups why isn't Doolittle in there I thought that that would have made sense um anyway uh they lose six nothing they've got to generate more offense tonight what you gotta love about tonight is that Strasburg told Dave Martinez I want the ball tonight you know this is a different Strasburg or certainly different than the perception we had of Strasburg during the first half of his career even more than the first half of his career his reputation really started to change that day at Wrigley Field when they were down 2-1 in 2017 mm-hmm. and you know the lead up to that game was oh my god he's cold he's got allergies what is it that may you know uh, if if you recall there there was dusty you know essentially implying that Steven might be too sick to pitch or not mm-hmm. feel well enough to pitch. You know, some thought he was sort of calling him out a little bit publicly. And then Strasburg shows up and strikes out 12 and pitches a gem, and they win that game to force a fifth and deciding game. And on that day, really, more than any other, Strasburg's reputation began to change. He has been their best pitcher this year. There is no doubt about it. He should have started Tuesday night. He should have been the starting pitcher in that game. The fact that they won that game... Um, with Max starting the game, doesn't mean that it was the right decision. They needed the best closer in the sport to choke with four outs left and holding a two-run lead for that decision to have paid off for Davey or to have for him to have looked good with that decision. Scherzer got behind 3-0 in a win-or-go-home game. It was not the right decision. Tonight is the right decision, and the fact that Strasburg wants the ball tonight makes it even more right. Because now you get Stras tonight in a true, like, what a marquee pitching matchup for October in a, in a division series. Kershaw and Strasburg at Dodger Stadium. I mean, it really, I'm not talking about Nats fans or Dodgers fans. Baseball fans are looking forward to watching this tonight. That should be an outstanding matchup. And if he pitches the way he's been pitching, the Nats don't have to provide a lot of offense, but they got to provide more than they provided last night, and really more than they provided in the wild card game. 
You know, they've got to they've got to generate some real offense. Bo Porter, to bring his name back into it, had a really interesting point. He essentially said that they were not able to take care of the fastball last night, Walker Bueller's fastball. You know, there were opportunities and they let themselves get behind in the count because they couldn't hit the fastball. Well, you don't get the same velocity anymore with Kershaw tonight. Uh, but man, when it comes to placement and when it comes to diversity of pitches, versatility of pitches, you get it all from him tonight. But they got to be some; they've got to be aggressive, and they've got to generate more than two hits and zero runs. Like you got to have a seven, eight hit night that generates three, four, five runs tonight. You may not need more than three with Strasburg. Uh, if you get one of those outings from Strasburg tonight, like you got in three innings the other night, he's going to keep you in the game. He's going to give you a chance. By the way, I was thinking about this. You know, Strasburg's really got a chance to cement his legend in this postseason. He's going up against Kershaw here in game two. And then potentially, if somehow the Nats got to a fifth and deciding game back at Dodger Stadium, he would get Walker Bueller, more likely than not, in a game five. Can you imagine if somehow he gets two wins in this series? And Scherzer gets one, you know, or Corbin gets one in game four. Sure. Um, But what an opportunity for Strasburg tonight. Cannot wait to to watch that. Can't wait to watch the game tonight. Um, Should be a a great game. By the way, the Dodgers are minus 140, 145 favorites. So a much slighter favorite tonight, obviously, against Strasburg than they were last night against Corbin. Also, there was that feeling going into the game that Bueller was unhittable. And as it turns out, he pretty much was Yep. Um, last night. Two errors killed him last night, but ultimately, to me, it was the lack of any offense. Like Ultimately, it doesn't matter how many errors Howie Kendrick had if you couldn't generate one run offensively, and they couldn't. Uh, and they needed more than one last night. They needed at least three in the context of the game going into... Uh, the eighth uh, inning in that game. All right. um, The other thing that went on last night was an unbelievable NFL game uh, between Seattle and the Rams. Now, I really was paying attention primarily to the baseball game last night, but I gave out Seattle as a smell test pick, minus one and a half, and they won by one. So the smell test is off to an 0-1 start to the week. Um, It's a shame because Metcalf had a chance to to haul in that two-point conversion which would have given Seattle the three-point lead. When Seattle took the lead, they went for two up 30-29, to 29, and it was a really good uh, schemed-up play, and um, DK Metcalf is open, and Russell Wilson throws the ball, and Metcalf should have pulled that in for a 32-29 lead. Um, but uh, you didn't get that, and then the Rams went down the field and had a chip-shot field goal for Zerline from 44 yards out with 10 seconds to go, and he missed it, so Seattle won by a point. By the way, you know, those of you that do bet football and have bet football over the years know all of the different you know scenarios and situations that will play out at the end of a game to get you a win. So when Seattle scored the winning touchdown, or the go-ahead touchdown, I'm sorry, with 228 left in the game and missed the two-point conversion, the Rams had two timeouts left. And you're thinking, okay, somehow we need a fourth down miss with them still having at least one timeout left, Aaron, you know, 
where then the the Seahawks are going to be in a position with like 20 seconds to go, 30 to 29 on a fourth down at the Ram 20-yard line with, you know, kick the field goal or go for it. You know, you're in one of those situations. And the Rams ended up throwing an interception. It was not ruled an interception. Replay took care of it um, with Thompson getting the an incredible interception on a throw that was deflected off the tight end Everett. Um, once that happened, then it was pretty much over. But when the Rams took over at 30-29, to 29, there was still a legitimate chance of Seattle having an opportunity to kick a field goal if they could have gotten a, a four-down stop. And they had him on third and 10, and that was the play where the ball was intercepted. I was praying for that to be ruled no interception, even though it was clear that it was, so the Rams would have a 4th and 10 miss, and then you would have gotten the field goal opportunity at the very least from the Seahawks. But they didn't cover. All right, they didn't cover. Great football game. And if you haven't seen the first Seattle touchdown, you did, did you see the Tyler Lockett touchdown? I saw it, yeah. I did see it live because I was watching that game. I saw it on Twitter. Ridiculous. Oh, my God. What a throw. I mean, he's thrown it to the corner of the end zone, and what a catch by Tyler Lockett to give Seattle a 7-6 to six lead uh, in that game. It's one of those things where I really wonder if Russell Wilson was even trying to really give him a chance or if he was just kind of throwing it, all right, most likely nobody's going to catch it. Maybe he makes a miracle, and, and I'm just going to kind of put it there. Right, exactly. Um I think there's something wrong with the Rams a little bit. They're three and two. I said that before the season. I didn't pick them. Um, I, you know, I picked them to be a wild card and pick Seattle to win the division. Um, I don't know what it is. There's an issue with Gurley, even though he tried to feed Gurley the ball last night, especially early. And Gurley had a couple of really good runs. Had two touchdowns, by the way. Um, I don't know. Uh, the Rams are three and two. They're still a, a very, very capable team. I think Seattle's really good. All right. Uh, anyway, that's it about the Seattle game. Uh, let's bring in Chris Cooley, who is available to chat today. The Redskins beat the Patriots if, Cooley. It's a fun game to play, isn't it? Is there any chance? The Redskins beat the Patriots if this defense steps up and acts in any semblance like everyone said this defense was supposed to act. They play better than they played. They get off the field on third down, which is unbelievable how bad they've been on third downs. Uh, Probably have to create a couple turnovers, which is tough. And then offensively, New England's so good on defense, man. You you got to beat man-to-man coverage. You got to separate. I don't see them running the ball like they haven't ran the ball. and and so I I don't think that's a a big-time expectation, but Here's what they got to have. They got to have a receive, couple receivers, make a big time catch, break a couple tackles, break a tackle. It's all man to man, so you break a tackle and you can get a bigger play. So you need a, a few things like that. And to me, it's going to have to be an under 20 game for them to win the ballgame. What's yeah, the over under on this thing? Would you, um, what is the total, Aaron? I'm going to get, I haven't looked at it. I'm going to guess it's like in the low to mid 40s. 42 right now. I got 42 yeah. right now. Yeah. So New England can't score 20 if you want to win the game. Um, so there were a couple of things and I'll save my sarcastic responses for when you hang up because I don't want you to be attached to them in any way. But, um, you mentioned the third down defense. First of all, the difference is, is stark in, in incredibly, you know, stunning because the Patriots third down defense is only allowing 13.5% conversions on third down and the Redskins are allowing 63%. One team is the best on third down. The other is the worst in the league on third down. And right now, historically awful through the first quarter of the season. 
on third down. But here's one of the here, here's a, a silver lining, if you will. The Patriots' best offensive opponent that they will face may be the Redskins on Sunday. They faced the Steelers, who were lifeless in the opener and were playing an injured Ben Roethlisberger. They have faced Miami, the Jets, and last week the Bills with Matt Barkley for half the game. The Redskins actually may pose not much of a threat, but the biggest threat offensively to the Patriots' defense this year. The stats that the the Pats have compiled here defensively, number one in in yards allowed, number one in scoring defense. They're only allowing 6.8 points per game. Number two rush defense, number two pass defense, number one in takeaways. They've got 10 takeaways. By the way, as an aside, all of them are interceptions. They haven't recovered a fumble yet this year. But they haven't, they've played four awful offensive teams because the Steelers were terrible in that Monday, in that Sunday night opener. They were playing Roethlisberger, who basically couldn't throw the football. And they didn't try to run the football. You go back and watch the Steelers game. They had 14 total carries in that game. Yeah. And again, granted, I understand that they got down, and, and now that's the world that we live in is, well, we were behind, or we had a holding penalty, and so we couldn't run the ball. It, but they couldn't, they couldn't run the ball when they tried to run the ball. So I didn't think the Steelers would be as lifeless against the Patriots. But when you watch this Patriots defense, I don't know if the Jets receivers, the Bills receivers, the Dolphins receivers are all really that bad. But, man, they are so good in coverage. There are no lapses in that secondary. They are tight when they play man-to-man. They are communicating when they play zone. They are smart. They are all over the field. It's a defense that you can't really look at and say, this player does this thing. You have to look at every player as an X. <laughs> we don't care what number he's wearing or the name on the jersey. He's an X. And so it's really interesting, though. I I think the Redskins have struggled as much against some of the zone coverages they've seen through the first four weeks, and the Patriots run way more man-to-man coverage. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Patriots play vanilla in the zone and say, your receivers haven't executed well enough to create spacing and create distribution, and they're not going to do it against us, so we'll play more vanilla. But – that's just a thought. You know, they, they're so good, though, man. Like, they have so many. When you watch this game, you'll see it. They have so many mug looks with linebackers at the line of scrimmage, with six, seven guys at the line of scrimmage all over. They're dropping three of them. They're rushing three of them. They, they just confuse consistently. They never, they're, they're relentless with their different looks, play in and play out. By the way, you know, you mentioned their secondary in particular. Um, I, w- I watched some of that Buffalo game. How good is Devin McCourty as a safety? He's amazing. And Jason McCourty's a good corner. Really good Butler's corner. Butler's a good corner. And, or uh, the, Gilmore. the guy they got out Gilmore. of Gilmore. Gilmore out of Buffalo. Yeah. Is a really good corner. And they had a kid that's a second year player out of Maryland. He's 27. He's a really good player. Had a pick. JC ja- yeah, JC Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, they're just. But the thing is, is they're de- it's a demand for them. It's almost a thing of art when you watch these guys cover in man-to-man because they just trail perfectly. They don't hold. They don't grab. They just have this innate trail ability that is got to be coached, but it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, so here was another sort of um, silver lining from the playbook for Sunday um, that I wanted to ask you about specifically. I mentioned it, mentioned it on the radio show. So when you watch – the Buffalo-New England game last week, and most of you probably didn't watch it. Buffalo's defense is really, really good, and they really took 
uh, they took it to the Patriots physically. And I just wonder, you know, how many games you played in like that where it was a, a physical draining battle. You couldn't get anything going offensively. You were sore after the game like you typically weren't. How much of that carries over to the following week, especially when you're playing an opponent that's probably difficult to get up for? Yeah, some of it can carry over. It, I, I watched that Bills game a few times. I don't know if they're banged up because of the game. And you, I think there's also this sense of frustration when you don't operate offensively. But then you're looking at the Patriots and you're saying they're not frustrated that they didn't operate that week offensively. The, 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 the Patriots, they just move on. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if they're overly banged up, but I will tell you what. When you watch Buffalo's defense, and it's, it's another one of those things where you're like Trent Murphy and Lorenzo Alexander are – yeah standout players for them they play so fast their defensive line plays so fast their backers play so fast that guy milano smart really smart good. player yeah yeah really good linebacker the kid from and they all, uh, they're boston fly, college they're, yeah they're, they fly around man and and the kid out of virginia tech tremaine Edmonds. golly tremaine well we remember when we were doing film breakdown yeah. we loved him we loved, loved him. him he was like 19 too when he got drafted two years ago yeah, he's he, tough. He is so what, instinctual. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have to spend a lot of time on, on Buffalo, but I was just curious if there's a game that you remember where, you know, you played a really good defensive team and then the following week, you like it's the Alabama effect, which I've talked to you about and I, I've yeah, mentioned yeah, on, the, yeah. on the podcast before. It's like any team that plays Bama, LSU, or Auburn, the following week you bet against them because they, 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 they just are too, too worn out. Uh, to play the the following week, um, New England was uh, so it's an interesting way that you put it that perhaps they were more frustrated, but you know it's New England, so they're going to be fine this Sunday. We didn't play a lot of games against Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh was really physical defense. You had to play against them; they they were a violent defense. Guys like James Harrison and Troy Polamalu would just lay it on you. Um, Philly was always a really physical defense, the Jim Johnson defenses, which right. is essentially what Buffalo is right now with Sean McDermott. He was there with. Johnson and Philly so they were always incredibly physical and I I remember those games being some of the toughest games that we played but to to say that it carried over buddy I don't know if I I don't don't know if I remember it really carrying over um look you know if if there is any carryover effect this is the perfect opponent for the Patriots because they actually have you know, a lot of really good teams on their schedule. You know, they've got the Ravens on the road. They've got the Eagles and the Cowboys and the Browns and the Texans and the Chiefs. This is perfect for them coming off a game that really they were sort of lucky to win to have the Redskins and be 15-and-a-half-point favorites in a stadium, by the way, that will not be a road environment for them. Um, okay. How about the first five games on their schedule? My God. You'd expect Pittsburgh to be a little bit better, but you get Pittsburgh, who is essentially – and a loss of Bell and Brown. and Well, Roethlisberger it, couldn't throw the ball, you know, v- vertically that night. I know. And, look, we like James Washington and Juju, but they're not Antonio Brown. And just to look at the first five games that they got versus our first five games is crazy. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think the Bills are actually pretty good, but still, it's well, yeah. the Bills. Um, but, yeah, to, to start with – you know, basically a quarterback-less, you know, Steelers team because Roethlisberger was compromised. The Dolphins, Jets, Bills, and Redskins. And by the way, next week they get the Giants at home. And then they're at the Jets 
But then it gets dicey. You got Cleveland, Baltimore, Philly, Dallas, Houston, and Kansas City during a stretch. I guess one one of the things that uh, the re- part of the reason I bring it up is, uh, you know, everybody's talking about could this be like a 2007 Patriots team? Is it the greatest defensive team that Bill Belichick's ever had? How can you really know when? They've played the teams they've played to start the season, just inept offensive teams. It's hard to really know. I, I can tell you watching the Patriots offensively, the one thing they do lack is that dynamic down-the-field weapon. Like The thing with that undefeated year was Randy Moss, right? Right. Like, the, and, and the way they operate offensively, they they for forever were a spread offense team, and they would pass it 50 times a game. And I think a lot of it is, at this point is probably to protect Tom Brady. Essentially, like everything Belichick does is to protect the quarterback. And I think now with you know the way with Brady's age and what it is, there are a lot of eye backs and strong with fullback in the backfield and heavy stuff. And they need a vertical threat. Like I, after watching them, I could see why Tom Brady was so adamant about Antonio Brown and was so excited to have Antonio Brown as a part of that team. Because when you have that power eye offense and that power stuff, you have to have the deep threat that can win. And I just don't know if Josh Gordon is it. I, I love Edelman, but he's a slot player. So to say that they'll have the total, totally special year, that year that they went 16-0, they were blowing everybody out. They're going to win some tight games this year if they're going to win them all. That year that they went 16-0 and and then 18-0 and and they were blowing everybody out, um, you played in one of those games against them and lost 52-7. to Yeah, great game plan we had going in defensively. We're just going to play straight cover two and let Brady pick you apart. It's like, I don't care if they're really smart. You still have to try to show them different stuff. You can't just show them your coverage. Is that what happened that day? I think I think we played all cover two. It was a Greg Williams defense, if I remember right. And normally we're an attack blitzing defense, and we just set up and played cover two. Wow. Um, you had three catches that day for three, 31 yards and a touchdown. The one score in the 52-7 loss was Chris Cooley's touchdown catch from – Two-minute uh, drill at the end of the game. I'll take it. From, from Jason Campbell. Uh, who had a rough outing, to say the least. That That's the last time, by the way, the Redskins were this big of an underdog. And that was a road game. This is the biggest home dog I think they've ever been, um, 15 and a half at home, if you want to call it home. Uh, they are it's at home. home. It won't it's feel not like New England. It, it won't feel like it crowd-wise. You know, this is going to be – it's going to be a very interesting crowd Sunday because this is actually the toughest ticket of the year because people want to see the Patriots. Is it really a tough ticket? It, relatively speaking, it is. It's still not a tough ticket. But um, I think I was checking StubHub a couple of days ago, and the prices for this game were definitely, you know, st- they were they were holding firm at you know much higher prices than we had seen for the other for the other games. I, I just it's, think there's a lot of interest LeBron in the James. The LeBron James effect when you want to go watch a Wizards game. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You're you're paying to see you know the the Patriots. It's like the Patriots are in town. Wow, I mean it only happens once every eight years. You know you play these right. AFC teams once every four years, but only once every eight years at home. Um, so there's that opportunity. All right, I want to get to something with you um, that I did on the radio show this morning by myself, but I'm looking forward to doing it with you more. Yesterday the show ended, and I'm watching first take a replay of it with. 
you know, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman, and yesterday Damian Woody was on the show, and then Molly, whatever her name is, sort of the the moderator of the show. And the Redskins, by the way, are the only zero and four team on, it, on, on that could possibly be. Um, getting this much conversation and being this much of a topic at 0-4. I mean, they're totally irrelevant in the standings, but still very prominent in discussion. Um, This is the conversation about the Redskins specific to Dwayne Haskins playing Sunday in New York. I want you to listen to what Max Kellerman said. You know, let me tell you something. Haskins has already been damaged by this, I think, yes. by reputation. And if you don't believe me, just imagine if your team needs a quarterback and you just traded for Dwayne Haskins. Are you psyched about that? Are you thinking, oh, maybe a project, maybe it'll work out, maybe not, we're still looking for a quarterback. Because he was the 15th pick in the draft, and I thought he might have been the best player in the draft. Like I, you fi- I don't think it's a damage yet just by I the first game Haskins, three picks. I, no, no, not by the first game yeah. three picks. By the association with this organization, by the way he's been handled so far. Uh, by the way, good for Molly, um, whatever her name is, stepping in and saying damaged. I, already been damaged by, by reputation because he played football last week in relief? Explain this one to me. This really, you know, I, 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 I really have gotten frustrated with the national piling on, the hyperbole, the exaggeration from guys like Kellerman and Lewis Riddick, and like, like the Redskins playing Dwayne Haskins is sabotaging him. Stephen A. said that again yesterday. That there's an agenda. Max Kellerman said, says they've damaged his reputation for good. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, it's a headline. It's it's wild. I wonder where I don't know where it's coming from. Let let me just he didn't damage his reputation for good. Right now, every league every team in the league had an evaluation on Dwayne Haskins and seeing him play twenty two snaps in relief did not damage him. Now, is that what the conversation is about, that they put him in and there was a certain amount of film on him that we can watch now and it wasn't good enough because he did actually make some good throws in that ball game or is it the he's not ready conversation and then at at that point you got to ask like what is the conversation you want to have and how do you want to move forward with discussing Dwayne Haskins if he isn't ready or if and you and I, I I believe he is ready it's just you change what you're doing for him right but we've had this conversation you know, to run a West Coast offense at its fullest where you're going to have to six-man protect everything and you got to flip your line and you got to know where the back is and you got to call Mike. And you've, by the way, never done that in college. You've been mostly five-man and play-action stuff. Maybe some six, but not a lot. Colleges don't do that. And now all of a sudden you have to identify fronts and you have to identify known rushers. And you're like, oh, yeah, that pass play that I'm calling, I still need to see the secondary and stuff too. It's a lot. I think my, my easiest comparison, as I've thought about this through the last week, is essentially saying when you take your wife to play blackjack if she's never went, she has to add all the numbers. <laughs> you get a 7 and a 6, and she sits there and she says, 7, 6, that's 13. And then you get uh 2, and she's like, okay, 15. Should I hit or should I not hit? But you in your mind as a blackjack player go, like, do, 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 do. You just see them together, and it, that's what it is. So as the quarterback starts to understand defense over a couple years in the NFL, then they can really do a lot of that stuff. Saying that he's not ready to do that isn't saying that he's not ready. There's a lot of ways that we can go right now. You know, Kansas City runs very little six-man protection. 
They're a five-man play action. They let Mahomes run around a little bit. He's not ready. He's just not quite ready to operate at the West Coast with the verbiage and terminology and the aspect that it is. I don't think he's damaged in any way. I just, you know, to me, you're going to learn a lot about Dwayne Haskins this year. I said this to you when we drafted him. I said this afterwards. You know, if he plays and has to deal with adversity or if he has to deal with adversity, if not playing this year, you're going to find out more of who he is throughout the end of the year. Like, how does he handle this whole situation? If he handles it poorly then and he was damaged, then you didn't want that type of a player. You don't want a guy that's going to be damaged over some media criticism or some criticism of the situation. You want a guy who's going to be relentless and continue to be available and believe in himself no matter what happens in his first year. Exactly. Exactly. So would you start him Sunday? Would you would you if you were coaching this team, would you change um, the offense and 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 give him something that he can operate in and get him started on a season that's basically over at 0 and four? Because you know what I think. I think I would. My my the, the, look. The way I've looked at this is, I do want him to believe in himself, and I do want to tell him that he's ready enough. And unless I sit him down and say, look. I know that you're ready enough to run some of the stuff you did at Ohio State, but we're not going to do that here, and that's our choice in whatever. Then you could move on and start somebody else. You Or you could start Case if he's ready and say, look, we named him the starter. He's been the starter. You're the two. But if you start Colt, you are to some extent saying, you know, you aren't ready. Yeah. Unless you're going to – like, you, it just has to be so transparent with everybody involved. But what would you do? But if you start Colt, you have to sit down and then you have to say, like, look, Colt was our starter in week one if he was healthy. He was no unquestionably the starter. We knew he was going to be the starter. But that's hard to say because that wasn't ever really discussed. Like, there was a quarterback competition with three guys as the season – as the preseason went on until Colt wasn't ready. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things – for, you didn't answer the question specifically. Who would you start? Would you start the Haskins era Sunday? Yeah, bro, you're 0-4. And coaches have a commitment to try to win every ballgame that they can possibly win. I understand that. They're committed to the other coaches on their staff. They're committed to the future of those coaches. They're committed to the players working day in and day out. And if you do believe that you're not going to win with Dwayne because he's not ready to do what you want him to do, then I understand the dilemma that you're facing. Like, I'm committed to everybody that comes and works every day, and look, we want him to be ready. We do believe he's going to get there at some point, but not right the second. I get that commitment, and I also get it with the pressure of Jay moving forward. Like, is he here? What's happening? What's going on? You know, who's his commitment to? Because it's definitely to his coaches and players right now. Uh, this... But when you look at it for me, like, if, if, if I had – if this was my first year as a coach – there's no question it's doing right if in my fifth year where I'm getting fired or the potential to get fired I don't know I think that's a different I think there's context to that so, I, there, I guess there's context but that then it's up to management to take that context away if that's preventing him from moving forward with what's best for the organization as a whole, then he shouldn't be there. And 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 here's the thing, Cooley. Like one of the, I wanted to go back to the Kellerman stuff and the Lewis Riddick stuff from the other night, and Stephen A. also, you know, piling on. Um, 
he wasn't damaged. If he was damaged from 22 snaps and some media criticism, then they, they've got the wrong guy, and I think he's more thick-skinned than that. That's my hunch from, so do I. from afar. So do I. Um, but here's the thing that is mind-boggling to me with the criticism that's coming from people like Lewis Riddick and Max Kellerman and others, Stephen A. Smith in particular on ESPN. If they're so convinced that Jay Gruden and, and this coaching staff is somehow uh, has an agenda and are sabotaging this guy and ruining this guy and damaging this guy. Why aren't they all over Dan for continuing to keep Jay in the building? Like if that were really true and I'm the owner and I've got a guy that's abusing and sabotaging my number one quarterback, he's, there's no chance I'm letting him back in the building. Zero chance. He's gone. My point being, that's really not my gut feel, is that Jay isn't intentionally sabotaging Dwayne Haskins. Jay's not going to intentionally sabotage anything. I think I just, back to what we just went through, Jay is committed to his players and coaches, and they like him, and he likes them. He's not going to sabotage Dwayne. That, I, just, I, I will assure you that that's not happening, that that's not the case. He is in a spot where he's got to make tough decisions, but sabotage is way out of bounds here. Yeah, completely. That's saying, but, Jay, that's saying Jay Gruden's like semi-evil, and that we, you know, Jay, you watch Jay. Yeah. He's not, there's nothing evil about him. Um, you know, some people are bringing up the fact that you know he he put Griffin out there. He knew Griffin couldn't succeed, and it was sort of making the point with the owner that this guy, you know, we can't succeed with. And look, I, I think the situations are, are apple. It's an apples and oranges situation because at the time, Robert wasn't well liked. There was so much frustration with Robert with respect, with respect to being coachable and having the relationship with the owner and a lot of other shit was going on during he that He was brought time. in to coach Robert initially. That was the initial thought process when it happened. <laughs> right. He's going to get Robert back on track. Yeah. That was, I mean, I'm sure that was mem- the first memo on his desk. By the way, that's sort of an interesting um, uh, comparison because the next coach that's brought in is probably not going to get the job if he says, I don't believe in Dwayne Haskins. It's the same situation that Griffin was in after 2013. They had to find the coach that made the owner happy and saying, oh, yeah, he's a drop-back quarterback. He's not a runner. I can turn him into that. Well, you're gonna, the next head coach is going to be a guy that's going to have to say, I believed in Haskins at Ohio State. I had him as a first-round guy. I can't wait to coach him. Right? <laughs> Probably is a, the understatement of the year. Someone comes in and says, no, 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 he's not the guy. But I'll, I'll build a standard here. <laughs> okay. Have a great day. See you later. Nice well, that, meet you. that sucks. Because what if the best coach is the best opportunity for, for the organization from a hiring a, a head coach moving forward standpoint? What if he doesn't believe in Dwayne? We know most most coaches are pretty arrogant in believing that they can coach up players, especially from the onset. So most coaches are going to say, "Yeah, I can get this done." What if they hire the GM first? What if they replace Bruce and the GM says, "I I had him rated as a third round prospect." We've got a chance to draft Tua at the top of this draft. That's what we're doing because he's going to be a superstar at the position in the league or Justin Herbert or you know Jalen Hurts or whomever. That guy's not getting the job either because he's not a Dwayne Haskins fan. By the way, this is if why he's hire, got to play. The G, if they hire the GM first, 
he better make some incredibly valid points, and he better have a very, very good plan with the steps he wants to take to move away from somebody else, anybody else that was already drafted in the first round on this roster. This is why playing him and learning from him playing, you know, finding out how he faces. Most of it said this from day one. I know, I know, but it's amazing how many people think it's the wrong thing to do. A lot of your former teammates think it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, it, it's almost like they, they're fearing that he's going to fail and that, you know, like D'Angelo Hall, was it D'Angelo or Sean Springs said to me, he said, Kevin, the fans will be all over him if he plays and he's not ready. And I'm like, no, they no, won't. No, they won't. I don't agree with that at all. No, they won't blame him. I think they'll blame coaching at this point. But they'll also the recognize Rocker, as a rookie Rocker. quarterback, it's going to take some time. But I want to see how he competes. I want to see how he handles adversity. I want to see how he leads. I want to see how he does in learning, you know, and in, in, in getting more uh, – I don't know. There's something about watching him. I want to see him start to anticipate throws and start to trust where he was, he's going to go with his one read. And I want to see him start to learn the time his drops up to some of these NFL concepts. And I want to see a lot of what he could potentially do. If you're not going to, if you're, if you're not going to have meaningful games late in the season, he's the guy right now moving forward. You can't teach experience. You not teach it. But we're not going to see it Sunday, are we? We're going to see Colt. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's a tough decision that you got. Really? I don't know what you're going to see. Okay. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, okay, so my feeling is this, and I it's based on not knowing anything because you can see Chris isn't going to answer the question, which is fine. I don't want him I don't want to put him on the spot with that. My feeling is this, which by the way I shared this with you yesterday and you're like I'm not going to comment on that. And I'm like, "Fine." Um, if Colt is healthy, this is what Jay wants to do. If he's healthy and he's upright and he can go out there physically, Jay wants to see Colt one last time. If he's going down, he wants to go down with the guy that I think he believes had he stayed healthy last year, they would have been in the postseason. Well, the one thing it it does make is a pretty interesting storyline if Colt were to start and then were to come out and beat the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine, like, even if he, even if they didn't win the game, but they put up 31 and lose, you know, in overtime, 34-31 or 37-31, um, it would be, it would be pretty interesting. Um, definitely. Um, all right. Uh, what else? What else? Like, just league stuff. Like, I, I want here. Here are a couple of things. I was really surprised. Did you watch last week's Sunday night game, the Cowboys Saints game? Yeah. I thought that was a poor called game by Dallas. They they were very predictable. They they didn't use Prescott in a lot of the stuff that they had used him in in the first part of the season. Um, he was uncomfortable. They couldn't run the football. By the way, the Saints must be much better defensively than I thought. But well, I, they were good on defense last year. They they were surprised on defense. But it's funny you say that because I through the first three games and watching Dallas and when we played them, really had this concept like Kellen Moore is taking this offense to another level. Right, They're kind of letting Dak play a little bit more. They're opening it up a little bit. It, it isn't as predictable. It isn't as simplistic. And then you watch them against New Orleans. And you're like. 
back to Jason Garrett vanilla. Yeah, completely. It was almost as if they felt like New Orleans really wasn't going to score much and they didn't need a lot. It's, it's interesting how that game really was like a total mirror of the game they had played late last year on that Thursday night when the Cowboys won that game 13-10 to in Dallas. A um, couple of teams that I want to bounce off you. I think Tampa, first of all, Vegas loves Tampa. They, the, the, the Sharps in Vegas believe that Tampa is really good and really difficult to, to check offensively. How much have you seen of them, and do you think they're for real? They're, they've been explosive offensively without really throwing to Mike Evans. Yeah, well, they and didn't throw to him a lot last week. That's, that's for sure. Not until, not until very late in that right. ballgame. No, I, they haven't thrown to him a lot because he's on my freaking fantasy team and he's not scoring any points. Well, he had, a, he had a monster day against the Giants. That's right, that's right, that's right. Um, look, man, you beat the Rams, score 50. That's a pretty good deal right there. And I, I, I think it's – I love Bowles as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I do too. You think he's a head coach again. But that I don't know. You never know the dynamics that went into what he had at New York. But that never seemed to be a good fit with him as a head coach. And sometimes there's just this – some guys are good at coaching ball. And some guys are good at executively managing a football organization. And I see Bulls as a ball coach. Like, if I, I look at it like, like guys like Bulls and Greg Williams, I don't even know if they really want to head coach. I think they love what they do coaching defense. Right. I, I so, can but see I that. Love, and Arians is the overall manager, and he, he had such a good run in Arizona. And they put together so much organizationally. And I, I really thought, like, go back to Arizona for – second i really thought like, you really got to credit kime their general manager for all this stuff they put together and now over the last couple of years you look at what arizona did drafting rosen trading rosen then having drafting murray and trading away a bunch of their players on defense and you're like was arians really the glue that held that together in arizona was it was it more of an Arians deal than it was a gm deal because he's immediately made an impact on what tampa is and bulls is good on defense man he's a tough defensive coach i will tell you that he he is a good Good scheme guy. I would have felt so, so good had the Redskins though. been able to hire him. So good. I, you, you, you might be right about the head coach thing because I've got friends who are Jet fans who every time I bring up Todd Bowles and say I would love him to be the Redskins' next head coach, they're saying, no, you don't. You want him to be the, the defensive coordinator. I just don't think he ever had a quarterback in New York. And when they finally got one last year, Darnold, they didn't let him see it through. I mean, he did not have any decent – professional quarterbacking while he was there. Went 10 and 6 his first year in New York too. Um anyway, uh, I never thought I never thought they were very good. What but else? I did always think they had good defenses. How about missing a kick? How about the Rams kicker missing a kick last night from 48 to lose the game? 44. Yeah, Zerline. Oh yeah, you're right cuz they got a, they got they got a couple yards on. You know what? I thought I I thought about this as I watched the game. And everybody ices the kicker. I think because everybody ices the kicker, the best thing you can possibly do in that situation is not call timeout. Because they're expecting because that it. Kicker is, that kicker is sitting there going, they're going to call timeout. They're going to call timeout. Yeah. When are they going to call? I guess we're going to snap this ball. It's almost like <laughs> it becomes so normal at the end of games. The Rams didn't have a timeout left. But if I had a timeout left and I got to the point, I'd say let that – Play clock run down to five. If he doesn't ice you, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to call timeout. <laughs> Offensively? Yeah, but yeah, you got to let him know you're going to do it. No, of course you're going to let him know you're going yeah. to do it. But I was sitting there watching that game last night like, 
man, don't call time out here because that's going through your thought process as a kicker, as a holder, a snapper. Like, when is the timeout coming? Right. I loved that. I thought that was really smart by Pete Carroll. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting it, sitting there watching him line up. I was certainly expecting the timeout to come. They had two to burn, and I thought they would use one there. And they didn't, and he missed. He just barely missed, but he missed. Uh, there. By the but, way, Seattle's good. But I'll good. tell you what, Seattle, yeah, well, getting Clowney back, and you can tell Clowney's playing with a chip on his shoulder this year. I mean, getting, getting Clowney from Houston was massive for them. Like, that's when those defenses were so good. Like, their secondary's always been good, but when they have those big-time rush guys, and they have those guys that they, they can shoot gaps with, and then another guy that they can two-gap with, they're a tough defense again. Well, Ansa's good, too. Goff, but, looked, Goff looked off. Um, I think Goff's looked off all year. I think he I looked really think off he... against Cleveland, and Cleveland's really good defensively, too. Um, by the way, real quickly on Clowney, because it's, you know, I, I was pushing, I, I, I would have been totally for Clowney coming here if it had been, you know, the right situation. <laughs> um, People are saying, man, Clowney didn't do. Clowney's not making a massive difference. They gave up 29 points. I'm like, have you watched any of Seattle's games? He's got a pick six. He's got two forced fumbles. And according to one of those, you know, advanced stats things, you know, Football Outsiders or what's the other one? Pro Football Focus. Um, Seattle's pressures are up like 25% from a year ago. Clowney's a massive impact player. Like, if you don't see that as a football fan and you're just looking for sack totals or something else, you're missing it. He is a major impact player defensively. Well, the thing I would have loved about Clowney, and look, I don't know anything about him personally. I do, right. I do know by the trade, the way that went, in, that went on, like, they could have got a, a comp pick. It might not have been. Actually, they weren't going to get a comp pick for Clowney. I think I figured that out. But to give it away for that, they they had to not want him there. But right. if you're watching Clowney Phil with Houston last year, look at how many places he lined up on the defensive front. Like At least I know he's smart enough to line up all over the field and do so many things in a versatile way. And so I, I love that in, in Clowney. He's not just a speed defensive end. He's a guy that will line up over the center. He's a guy that can bounce around. He can play the B-gaps. I think Clowney's a pretty versatile dude. I think the Texans, you know, um, I think other teams would have gotten more for Clowney. I mean, the Texans essentially really didn't have a GM. They had an interim GM, and they gave away Clowney, and then they overpaid for Tunsil. You know, it was like those things happen, like, within a week of each other or whatever. It was not a good good situation for them. I I, I think they botched all of that. I think they did, too. Um, Anything else around the league impress you or concern you? Um, you want to weigh in on the Kirk thing? I haven't done that yet today. I did it on the radio show. Um, Diggs, you know, apparently wants to be traded, although the Minnesota beat people are saying no. Um, Thielen, you know, was frustrated last week. Kirk I got to apologize for missing him four times. The interesting thing with the Diggs thing, I love when players have no idea the repercussions on the salary cap. Like, he signed a massive deal <laughs> yeah, last year. Right. Like, if they trade him, they got to eat all of that cap. Right. They're not going to, like, hey, There's sorry, zero guys, chance he gets traded. Not- but I mean, like, think of that right now. Like, what if they wanted to left tackle? Like, how that would be an awesome deal to trade for Trent. They're going to have to negotiate a with, deal with Trent. You're going to get them eating most of the deal with Diggs. Like, that would be 
a sweet deal right there for the Reds. Well, remember his brother, Trayvon Diggs, who, by the way, is killing it at Alabama, is going to be a first-round pick next year um, from the area as well. Remember when he tweeted out over the summer, Aaron, some, it, it, he tweeted out like a picture of Stefan Diggs with like a Redskins helmet or a Redskins jersey or something. Yeah, And yeah. people started going nuts. I'm like, you don't understand. The deal that this dude just signed, there's no way in hell Minnesota can trade him. They, it would be an accelerated salary cap hit which they would not be able to afford. And why would Minnesota want to trade him in the first place? By the way, real quickly, um, and you can respond to this. So before the season started, you know how much I like Cousins, and you liked Cousins a lot as a player too. You thought they should have re-signed him too. But beside that, before the season started, there were a number of comments from him where I could tell that he was not comfortable with what they were going to do offensively this year. And that's why I predicted that the Vikings would not make the playoffs and that he was going to have – a difficult, you know, season. I, I really did feel that going in, and I predicted that. And I don't want that. You know, I'm rooting for him to 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 do well. Um, just from a a selfish standpoint, I want to be right about him. Um, the frustration, if you read the Minnesota uh, beat reporters, it's not specifically with Cousins. It's with Zimmer. It's with this philosophy of basically turning their offense into a run heavy scheme. And Kirk being only a game manager. Do you know how many passes they threw in the opener against Atlanta? Ten. 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 Ten passes. By the way, their offensive line is a sieve in pass blocking. He's not playing well. Man, has he lost some confidence. But when people have been tweeting me, as they have been for several (laughs) days now, which has been highly entertaining... It's not Diggs and Thielen. They may have a problem with Kirk, and Kirk missed Thielen on a deep one early that could have been a, a difference maker in the game. But they are, if you read the beat guys in Minnesota and gals, this Courtney Cronin uh, who covers them for ESPN.com, they're really frustrated with the offensive philosophy. Last year, they dropped him back too much, and they. You know they generated huge numbers, especially in the first you know half of the season. And this year, they're barely letting him throw. Unless they're behind. Oh, I mean, last year the coordinator was DeFilippo, who's doing a really good job with Minshew right now in Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, but they they hired this guy Kevin Stefanski, and remember last year they said to their offensive coordinator DeFilippo, "Like you you're you're going to run the ball." Yeah. And the next game you ran the ball like nine times, and like, oh, sweet bro, you're fired. Right. Um. So it is Zimmer's philosophy, though. Zimmer's the guy that I think looks at a game and says. How many points do we have to score this week to win? What can we hold them to? It's like, we need 20 points. That's what we need. So you're going to run the ball, and we're going to try to get 20 points. I hate it, man. I like scoring as many times as I can score. Listen, North Turner had a problem. I have, with I have Diggs, and I have Thielen, and they drafted a new a young tight end. I can't remember who they drafted, but they drafted, they yeah, drafted Irv, Irv Smith, Smith from Alabama. Alabama. And they have Kyle Rudolph. Like You're built to throw the ball. Yeah. Uh, and and that's where again, I mean, I know a lot of people are, are having at it on on Kirk. A lot of the people that didn't like Kirk. And by the way, he's not been good. All right, let me just again be really clear. He hasn't been good enough. He wasn't good enough last year at the end of the season when they needed to win games. They've had other issues. They've got major offensive line issues. 
Um, but, you know, the, the Z- Zimmer, who, by the way, I believe is a good head coach and a really good defensive guy. North Turner didn't want to be there with him because he, he got frustrated with Zimmer. Stefanski got fired. He probably didn't want to be there. And I would bet it, uh, and not Stefanski, Filippo. I would bet at this point, I mean, Zimmer's going like George Allen old school. He wants you to, you know, run it three times. If you have to throw it, make sure you don't take any chances, punt. Our defense and special teams will win the game. Well, you can't win Zimmer, games like that. If in the they NFL. don't make the playoffs, Zimmer's not going to make it through the year. Yeah, or Zimmer's not going to make it to next year if they don't. If they don't make the playoffs, and, and we just talked about a couple guys that are defensive coordinators like Greg Williams and Bulls, and maybe Zimmer's a defensive coordinator because he is hard to play against with those defenses. The way he operates defensively, they're they're tough. Those de- when he was in Cincinnati. And then everything they show in Minnesota, it's a tough scheme. Yeah. He's a smart D coordinator. But you can't go into games and say, we're not going to score points this week because we can shut them down on defense. We want to run it every down. Like, that's asking asking for it. You know, watching Cousins last week against the Bears defense, which is elite, um, you can see he's lost confidence. Like, the scheme isn't right. He's not playing well. He's getting bum-rushed, which we know, we, you know, if, if he's being ambushed, he's, he's typically not going to react to it well, especially with a scheme that doesn't sort of, you know, uh, uh, lend itself to, yeah, bring everybody and we'll get it out quickly. Um, uh, he, he's a mess right now. By the way, just one it's other his comment. Third scheme in th- it's his third scheme in three years. I know, but, but no one wants to hear that. Um, uh, well, that's a that hear it because it matters. So I wanted to say about Chase Daniel, who came in for Mitch Trubisky, and I'm just curious as I said this on the show. I'm just curious as to what you think about this. If Chase Daniel were six feet or taller, I think he'd be an outstanding NFL quarterback. I think Chase Daniel's amazing. He, remember, he oh, was you drafted do? here out of Missouri. Yeah, I know he yeah, was no, here. He was here. He was, he was he was awesome, and he's a guy that that's been with Andy Reid in Kansas City and with Sean Payton in New Orleans behind Breeze and behind some of these guys, like he's got a very good base for football. Like that's an that'll be an interesting decision if he plays really well. I guess there's no decision, right? You got to stay with your first the guy you traded it. Yeah, for uh, is Trubisky but, starting like, in London Sunday? I don't even know. Um, I like the Raiders, by the way, plus the points. The the public's all over Chicago Sunday. I just in watching Daniel last week against a really good defensive team in Minnesota. And look, they only scored 16 points, but they were moving the football. They th- that that game was really odd. Each team only had two possessions in the first half. It was crazy. Like they just two super long possessions. Diggs actually fumbled the ball after, at the end of one of Minnesota's possessions. But Daniel just to me I'm like, wow, this dude, there's a reason that smart people like Andy Reid and Sean Payton and and uh and and in Philadelphia um, have wanted him in their locker room as a backup. It's just unfortunate that he's like five foot six or whatever he is. Whatever he's, he's listed at, he looks three inches shorter than that. He's got to be five ten, five eleven. You think? He looks. Yeah. He looks tiny out there, doesn't he? I know he does. Um. All right. What else? It's your podcast. Uh, who, who's going to start Sunday? <laughs> is Jay getting fired if they lose Sunday? Yeah, how would I know? I know. Okay. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. I I think it's got to be so hard to be to be Jay in this situation. 
in, in, I mean, especially if somebody's essentially told. I don't know if they've told him his fate or not. I'm he's had the gallows humor for two years going on now. Like I always think when Jay talks and he kind of jokes about it, it's like, man, I don't know if I'd be doing that. <laughs> like, I'd say like I believe in this team no matter what. Remember the it's almost like Zorn when he, they took the play calling away from him. He's like, you know, I I just play, calling the plays is so much fun. I'm so excited to be the coach here. It was like, really, Jim? <laughs> well, yeah that that was that was an interesting situation because remember at the very end he was using like legal words like uh, I will comply. Uh, with their uh, with their requests, like basically, my my whole feeling at the time was Jim Zorn's wife realized that he would never have the opportunity to make this kind of money again as a head coach, and there was no way she was going to allow him to quit and not get paid the rest of what they owed him. Because remember, <laughs> he had another year on that deal, you know, so he was going to comply, come hell or high water, to make sure he got that money. I would. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think Jim wasn't getting what we had judges. I think Jim was getting like two million bucks a year. Yeah, exactly. But again, I mean, no one. First of all, no one was going to give him a chance to be an offensive coordinator, which is what they first hired him to be. And then he got elevated to the head coach, which you know I think I've told you this story before. But when um, Tommy happened to have been at the park, Zorn's walking out of the front door, and Tommy overhears him on the phone saying, I got to come home and change and go to Dan's house. And then you just hear him say, no, 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 the head coach. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he wants to talk to me about. Like, like the wife was like, what? No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to be interviewed to be the head coach. Um, anyway. All right. Um, be listening Sunday. Hopefully we can catch up next week. Uh, I li- By the way, the Redskins are the biggest anti-public play of the entire weekend. There's no other game that's got Sweet. more action gonna, on one they're team. They're going to cover. They're huh? going to cover then, huh? I don't know if they're going to cover. I, I I mean, I can tell you this. Every bookmaker on the planet is going to need the Redskins to cover. Well, then that usually ends up being a pretty good theory. Yeah. It's been working recently. Uh, probably go sideways here this weekend. All right, I'll talk You've to you later. You've been doing a great job. You should listen. Everybody should listen to your picks, man. You, you not anymore. Awesome. They should get off them right now. If they've ridden you them for like, three weeks, like, they should probably like get off week? them right now. What? Why? You never get off a heater. You, you never leave a heater. You never leave You've a heater. You've had a couple but, bad years. You know, I always joked with you. I said, I'm the bad luck. Because the last couple of years, your anti-public picks have been – or have been – no, I had a winning year last year. Oh, that's right. We didn't do the show. The two years with you, I, I had a, like a one barely winning year, and, and I had my worst year, which was like 48.9% or something. I know. So now you're back on a good shoe, and so let's let's ride it. <laughs> this is a good shoe. Shuffle the – hold on. Give me the thing. Let me just stick it right in that spot right there. All right, go ahead. This deck's, this deck's super positive at this point, man. I cut gotta, it right, the, cut it right the in the right spot. Look at – God, look at that. Right off the bat. An ace and a jack. Boom. Oh, look at that. You got a Friday night college football blackjack. There's a here six and a five against a six. We're on Ooh, a roll here. Um, I, uh, I, you're right. And I, and by the way, just as as an aside, I have definitely pressed very much so on this heater. But you do at some point get up from the table and say, "I did a really good job. I got a really good shoe. I pressed them." I, I look at all the look at my pile of chips, 
and now I'm going to get up and walk. You got to know when to get up and walk also. Um, All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, good to catch up with Cooley. A quick word before we get to the smell test on Stamps.com. If you're a small business, you really do need Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. It brings you all of the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Here's how you do it. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage, any letter, any package, any class of mail, and you can send it anywhere you want. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Now with stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters that you might have in your office. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. It's no wonder 700,000 small businesses plus are using Stamps.com. Now, right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Kevin DC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. Stamps.com. Use my promo code Kevin DC. All right, I'll get to the smell test here momentarily. But um, I did want to go back to something we briefly mentioned yesterday, and that is the list of coaches that are favorites to replace Jay Gruden. Um, The odds on who the next Redskins head coach will be. Almost everybody assumes Jay Gruden's going to get fired, whether it's on Monday or after a Miami loss, if that were to happen or at the end of the year. It's going to happen. He's not going to be the coach here next year. That is a mortal lock at this point. Unless, actually, unless Colt McCoy comes in and beats the Patriots and and starts a resurgent run uh, on, on this season. But uh, Aaron mentioned yesterday that Byron Leftwich is actually the favorite. He's the offensive coordinator in Tampa. You know, Todd Bowles is the defensive coordinator. They're coaching for Bruce Arians, and they are a very good offensive team with, by the way, a lot of offensive weapons in Tampa. But he is a two and a half to one favorite. He's a, he's a five to two favorite um, to be the Redskins' next head coach. Mike McCarthy is next in line. I do not want Mike McCarthy as the Redskins' next ho- head coach. Jim Caldwell is four to one. You know, I've always liked Jim Caldwell. I think he is a leader. I think he is a an executive manager of a football team like Cooley just, you know, perhaps uh, described Todd Bowles as not being of that. Um, but I like Caldwell. Caldwell right now, by the way, if you didn't know, is in Miami. He's the assistant head coach and quarterbacks coach um, in Miami. After Caldwell is Ken Wisenhunt. He's with the Chargers still. You know, Wisenhunt was a Gibbs player, so if Gibbs gets consulted, he might throw, you know, Wisenhunt's name into the mix. Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator in Seattle. Wouldn't it be interesting if he came back to Washington? He was here with his father. He was the quarterback's coach. It was his first pro position coach job when Marty was here in 2001. Josh McDaniels is 8-1 and Eric Bieniemy's 10-1. 
Eric Bieniemy, a lot of people think, is going to get a job somewhere next year. He's the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. A lot of people think he's super talented. He's now coached with Andy Reid for a couple of years. He was the running backs coach before becoming the OC with Andy Reid. Um, and a lot of people like Bieniemy a lot. So Aaron mentioned it yesterday. Todd Bowles isn't on this list. I think he will be at some point when Jay Gruden gets fired. I think the question, and when you look at that list, it seems like they're assuming that probably largely because of it's either going to be Haskins or it might be a new quarterback, that the Redskins are going to want an offensive mind in there to try to kind of mold the new quarterback, whoever it is. So that's why maybe Todd Bowles wasn't on that list. Well, it it might be exactly why every name on here is an offensive guy. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. That's actually a really good observation. Maybe the the betting uh the betting choice is that the Redskins will not hire a defensive guy. You know what? They haven't had a defensive guy as a head coach since Marty Schottenheimer. Spurrier, offensive guy. Gibbs, offensive guy first. Um Zorn, uh, uh, I mean whatever you want to call him, he was an <laughs> offensive guy. Shanahan, offensive guy. Gruden, offensive guy. All right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. Um, well, yeah, uh, the smell test has been working um, recently. Uh, over the last three weeks, 38 and one. Um, that's unbelievable. Actually, after last night, 39 and one with the Seattle loss. I did give out South, South Alabama as a lean. Uh, and that came through very easily. They were That was a never-in-doubt situation. The game went to overtime. They lost in overtime to Georgia Southern, but that doesn't go on the smell test record. These leans are just leans. You can play them if you want. It's usually an indication that I'm going to play the game personally, but they didn't fit the smell test criteria, which means major anti-public play and information that sharp money is with me as well. Um, but a 38-in-1 run is really damn good in the handicapping world. Um, I've been asked over the years at times to, to have my picks, Aaron, followed by these sites that you know sort of keep up to date with handicappers and then you're competing against other handicappers and I've always opted out. I don't really care to do that um, because I'm not selling my picks like a lot of these handicappers do. I'm just doing them for the for the purposes of the show. But if I were on in one of those contests, I'd be at the top of the board right now. I'd be very much one of the hottest handicappers in the country. And by the way, I'm not a professional handicapper. I'm a professional gambler. No, I'm not even that either. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I do enjoy this, as most of you know. And this is a true run. Um, I've had a lot of these runs in the past. I don't think anything's matched 38 and one over three weeks. I'm 36, 15 and one on the year. Um, again. It's not a regression to the mean thing, okay? That that doesn't exist in, in the world we're talking about. What it is, though, is it, it's an understanding that I'm not going to sit there and just collect from my bookie every week. Eventually, he's going to get some of this back. It's just the way it works. But I do like the board this week. Um, there are some games that I really like, and we'll start in college football uh, in Saturday, on Saturday, tomorrow. Tulane's laying two and a half to Army. Army gets a lot of play from the public. Um, they know that Army's been a really difficult team to deal with in recent years. Uh, they they took Michigan to the mat, you know, a few weeks ago. Probably should have won that game. Won that game. They had a field goal to win the game in the big house. Um, 
Army beat a, a bad team last week, uh, crushed a bad team last week. They're they're on a two-game winning streak since beating Michigan, but they really haven't played anybody. I actually gave out Rice against Army in week one, if you recall. Rice was getting like 24, and they covered easily uh, in that game. I don't think Army's as good as they've been. And Tulane I gave out in their last game. It was a Thursday night game against Houston as a four-point favorite, and we sort of got lucky in that win, but we got the win on a on a play that should have been field goal range for a walk-off field goal, but instead the guy broke a tackle and sprinted into the end zone with just a few, uh, you know, 30-something seconds left in the game, I think it was, and they ended up covering winning 38-31. Uh, I like Tulane. I mentioned it before that game. I think that they are an up-and-coming program. I think they played Auburn about as tough as anybody outside of Oregon, they actually were in that game. Not not really in it so much, but they went into it and they held Auburn to 24 points and they moved the football even though they didn't score a lot. Tulane's good. They're laying two and a half in the public's on Army. Take Tulane, lay the two and a half. TCU's going to Iowa State, and the public loves this Iowa State team. They're well coached. Um, they're, th- that has a lot to do with it. TCU lost two weeks ago to SMU. Um, in a game in which it was winnable. Uh, SMU, by the way, is having the best season they've had um, since the Pony Express back in the early 80s, which, by the way, put them on death penalty probation. One of the best 30 for 30s ever done, by the way. Um, uh, TCU is getting three and a half uh, at Iowa State. Uh, it's a short number perceived by the public to be short. Iowa State's two and two. TCU's three and one. They crushed Kansas last week, but I- Iowa State's losses have been to um, uh, they, they lost to Iowa by a point and they lost to Baylor who's pretty good by two by the way Matt Rule's an excellent coach excellent coach uh, at Baylor um, and Iowa State's well coached too with, with Matt Campbell a- anyway uh, I like TCU getting the, the three and a half at Iowa State I think the public loves Iowa State and I think there's a little bit of sharp money on TCU the game I really like um, is Florida. Florida in this spot last year beat LSU at home, and they're only catching two and a half tomorrow at home against Auburn. I've loved Florida's defense for a couple of years running. It is so good. It is so fast. Felipe Franks is out for the year. He was leading them to nowhere offensively. Now the backup quarterback's in. He's played pretty well here over the last couple of weeks. Um, they beat Tennessee. They crushed Tennessee a few weeks ago. Came back against Kentucky the night that Franks got hurt. Um, the backup quarterback, by the way, is Trask. His name's Kyle Trask. He's a big dude, like Franks. I mean, Franks is six six. This dude Trask is like six four, six five, but like two forty. He runs over people. You know, he doesn't have what I would call the most explosive of moves as a runner. Um, and he's not what I would call a great anticipatory thrower, but he's better than Franks, and Franks was a head case too. I love Florida tomorrow. They're going to beat Auburn. And by the way, they then go to LSU next week. How about the schedules in the SEC? Florida plus 2.5 at home against Auburn. And then New Mexico State is winless, and they're only catching 4 against Liberty, who's 3-2. and two. I had uh, New Mexico last week against Liberty, and they got the backdoor cover. I like New Mexico State at home plus 4. Uh, against Liberty. Let's go to Sunday. Um, the Redskins are the biggest anti-public side on the board the entire weekend. There are no players betting the Redskins. Nobody's betting the Redskins this weekend. 
every bookmaker in the country is going to need the Redskins for their lungs tomorrow. And what's interesting is the line's just been hovering there at about 15, 15 and a half. Now, I'm going to make... Um, I'm going to make a uh, claim here uh, to uh, being able to pull the Redskins off the smell test if Dwayne Haskins is the starter. If he's the starter, that line's going to go to 17 or 18, and it's not a smell test play. So don't play it today. Wait until you know for sure who the starter is. If it's McCoy or Keenum, the Redskins at plus 15.5 are a smell test pick. I don't know how they keep it close, but... I just know that my bookmaker and every bookmaker in the country will need the Redskins to cover. I like the Raiders plus five in the London game against the Bears. Um, I like the Panthers laying three and a half against Jacksonville. By the way, I think the Panthers are good. They're really good defensively, and I think this change at quarterback and really running Norv Turner's system the way Norv Turner wants it run is going to be a good thing for the Panthers. I actually think they're a dangerous team in that that, uh, NFC South the rest of the way. I like the Panthers laying three and a half. The public's on Jacksonville. Minshew's availability, and he's going to play. It's just a matter of how healthy he is. But the public's in love with Jacksonville in that game. Take the Panthers, lay the three and a half. And then you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to cringe on this one because you're going to say, Sheehan, get off the Broncos. But the Broncos are a major anti-public play. They're catching less than a touchdown against the Chargers. Like, that's begging you to bet the Chargers. Laying six and a half. Buy the half point, get it to seven, but play the Broncos on Sunday. And then I like the Cowboys. The public um, is backing Green Bay in this game, getting three and a half at Dallas. You know, it's almost like, wow, we get the extra half point on that. The Packers are, are the play. I like the Cowboys laying three and a half. There's your smell test. Tulane, minus two and a half. TCU, plus three and a half. Florida, plus two and a half. Buy the half point there to get it to three. New Mexico plus four, and then on Sunday, the Redskins plus 15 and a half if Haskins doesn't play or if he doesn't start. If he does start, which, by the way, I want him to start. As a Redskins fan, I want Haskins to start. But if he starts the game, the Redskins are off the smell test. Uh, Raiders plus five, Panthers minus three and a half, Broncos plus six and a half, and the Cowboys minus three and a half. And again, if you're wondering why on the Haskins thing, because I think the line will go to 18 or maybe higher, and I think then you'll get some people playing the Redskins and it won't be nearly the anti-public uh, play uh, that it is right now at 15.5. Do you agree with me that if Haskins is named starter, which I don't think is going to happen, that line shoots to like 18, 19? You know, I honestly don't know simply because Vegas had no problem putting this line up immediately. Usually if there's a question about quarterbacks, if they think there's a big difference between quarterbacks or even a, a – even if it's not a big one, but a somewhat significant one that would move the line, they would hold it. But they had no problem on Sunday immediately putting this line up. So I don't think they think there's a huge difference. Uh, they may just have assumed that there's no way the Redskins are going to start Haskins against New England. Look, I think there's a chance the line's going to go up regardless between now because oh, they're sure. going to want they're going to want to incent some Washington action, some of it, because the tickets are all New England. All right, the money is all New England in this game. And so they may have to up the line to 16, 16 and a half, 17 anyway, just to get some people to play the Redskins um, so that they can, you know, they're, they're not going to even the book out on this, um, but they're going to want some Redskins action. Absolutely. And to do that, they're going to have to up the line here. But by the way, if McCoy or Keenum start and that line just sticks at 15 and a half, 
it's going to be a big play for me on Sunday personally. Uh, again, I don't know how they keep it close, um, but no way is Vegas going to expose themselves to you know a, a lopsided you know eighty twenty New England dollar amount and ticket amount um, if they don't think the Redskins have a legitimate shot of covering this game. Uh, so there you go. That's the smell test. Quick word about mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag is a great place to bet. All right. Now, there's an offer that I'm going to tell you about if you use my promo code. But let me just first mention that it's just as important about where you play as who you bet on. You need to know that you're betting with a reliable book where you will get payouts, where you're going to get quality and fair lines. Also, where you're going to have an opportunity to play the way you want to play. Straight bets, parlays, teasers, in-game action, halftime action, prop bets. All of that is available at mybookie.ag. Go to mybookie.ag today. Use my promo code KevinDC to activate the offer, which is they will double your first deposit. Now, let me explain something. For those of you thinking, oh, well, hell, let me uh, get you know ten thousand bucks, deposit it, and then they'll double my deposit, and then I can pull out twenty thousand dollars. It's not the way it works. You have to bet. You have got to bet to a certain amount over a certain period of time. Once they've doubled that deposit, before you're going to be able to take the money out. So you're they, they want you they want to incent you to play and wager by doubling the the balance that you have to play with. You're not going to just get the payout once you join and they double that first deposit. You're going to have to bet games. Um, you're going to have to play a little bit with them. Um, but mybookie.ag, a reliable group uh, in this area. Uh, my promo code is Kevin DC. Use it, and you will get your first deposit doubled. You play, you win, you get paid at mybookie.ag. All right, let's finish up with a few Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend. It's Friday Football Quick Picks. All right, best games of the weekend this weekend, Aaron. Um, tomorrow, there are two really good college games. Florida-Auburn, can't, can't wait to see that. Um, boy, the schedules and, and the games upcoming in the SEC are just going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Auburn still has Florida. They still have LSU. They still have Georgia. They still have Bama. Florida gets LSU next week, and I think in two or three weeks, Georgia. Uh, unbelievable um, uh, schedule. There's a game early in the day, though, that I, I'm going to be interested in watching. And I'll get to Maryland here momentarily. But Iowa at Michigan, Iowa may be a little bit sneaky good. They're very good defensively. And if they can win this game, Iowa may be a contender. They play Wisconsin, I think, in early November. Um, Iowa may be better than most people realize right now. They're very good defensively. If they go into the big house tomorrow and beat Michigan, I think people are going to recognize Iowa as a legitimate contender in the Big Ten West and a chance to get to the Big Ten title game. Obviously, they will play Wisconsin. Wisconsin, by the way, does play Ohio State in the regular season. You know, that's going to be a, a, an unbelievable game when we get to it. Uh, the best NFL game of the weekend is Packers-Cowboys. By the way, the only 425 game uh, in that window. Um, there's a 4 o'clock game, Denver at, at Los Angeles. Packers-Cowboys, the only 425 game on Fox. Uh, looking forward to watching that. I'm actually inter- interested in Baltimore-Pittsburgh um, because I think Pittsburgh now has a little bit of momentum after Monday night. They've got a good defense, I think. They've got playmakers offensively. It's got to be about Rudolph. I thought he looked better on Monday night. And I don't think Baltimore is as good as, as most people think. Um, I, I loved Baltimore last year. I just think they're a different team defensively this year. Uh, the team I'm most interested in watching this weekend are the Minnesota Vikings. 
Uh, if they lose to the Giants Sunday, that se- their season is over. Um, it will unravel quickly. I'm very interested to see how they respond to this incredibly tumultuous week that started with a loss to Chicago, with Thielen being frustrated, Diggs being frustrated, Kirk looking completely lost, Zimmer being questioned. Interesting <clears throat> team to watch Sunday there in the Meadowlands. And if the Giants win, that's a three-game winning streak with Daniel Jones. They're 3-2. and two. Uh, teams on upset alert. I've already mentioned Auburn. You know, I don't know if you call them. You know, they're two and a half point favorite, but I think Florida can win that game. And I think the Broncos. Look out for them to finally win their first game, possibly in Los Angeles against the Chargers as a six and a half point dog. They'll probably lose on a late field goal. Uh, they've already lost two games at the gun on field goals that were um, influenced uh, in a, in a real uh, egregious way. Um, wrongful way uh, by two roughing the passer penalties um, at home against the Bears and then last week against Jacksonville. Um, Maryland plays Rutgers tomorrow. Rutgers fired their head coach last week. I had Loxley on the show earlier. I'm worried about this game. I think Maryland wins this game. I I think Maryland's rattled a little bit right now. They're also injured along the offensive line. You know, they've got – and Josh Jackson's confidence has taken a a hit. I think Maryland wins this game tomorrow because Rutgers is pretty bad, Aaron. But I I don't think it's easy tomorrow at Rutgers. Boy, if it's not – if it's – not easy that's going to say a lot about maryland like this should be an absolute romping and we've seen that when they do have advantages especially on offense they're able to take advantage of it they should have those advantages this weekend so if they don't take advantage of it then yeah you should probably start sounding the alarms a little bit you know who almost made the smell test was rutgers most of the tickets are maryland and there's a little bit of sharp action on rutgers they almost qualified for it i'd lean rutgers plus the 13 or wherever it is right now. Um, all right, real quickly, um, I'll take you uh, the non the non-NFL smell test games. Um, I would lean Tennessee laying three. I would lean Bucks plus three in New Orleans. I really like this Buccaneers team. By the way, Minnesota is now a five-point favorite. Really? Wow, that's a lot of points. Um, I think the public's going to be on giant uh, the Giants a little bit. They are leaning the Giants, not enough for it to be a smell test pick, but I'd lay the five and take the Vikings. I like the Jets to cover at Philly. Remember, these are not official picks. The official smell test pro picks, already mentioned them, the Redskins, uh, the Raiders, the Panthers, the Broncos, and the Cowboys. Um, I like the Falcons to play well. This is their season at Houston. They're a four-point dog. Would be very surprised if, if Atlanta doesn't play well. If they don't, Dan Quinn could be a coach that's on a hot seat in season as well. Um, they have underperformed. Uh, um, I don't know about the Colts Chiefs Sunday night. I would lean Colts plus the 11 because I love big double-digit dogs in the NFL. Ravens-Steelers. Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites at Pittsburgh. It's a division right now that is... Um, you know, I think Cleveland's to take personally. They're both two and two. The Ravens and the Browns are. The Steelers could get themselves back into it with a win. They'd be actually ahead of the Ravens in the standings if they beat them Sunday uh, in Pittsburgh. Go Nats tonight. I like Strasburg to win tonight as a uh, as a slight underdog um, in that game uh, to get him back on track in this series. Uh, I'm looking forward really this weekend to watching tonight as much as anything else football tonight. What a matchup, Strasburg 
and Kershaw tonight in L.A. All right, uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and you haven't rated us and you haven't reviewed us, do that. It's a big help to us. Also, subscribe. That's a big help as well, and it doesn't cost you a thing. Thanks to Cooley for coming on today. Thanks to Aaron for producing and contributing as well. We'll be back on Monday to recap the football and baseball weekend uh, as we are into the month of October. And by the way, it felt like it this morning, early this morning. It felt great. All right, have a great day.